This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome into the podcast. We're at the scene here at the Toyota Center after Houston's big win, 105-103 to 103 in overtime against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, here with my good friend, M.K. Bauer. You know him uh, from the Sports Exchange and from Culture Map. Uh, write some great articles for them, and it, it's a pleasure to have you on. First of all, MK, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much, Nick. You know, this game, uh, we've sat through a lot of clunkers, and the way I mentioned <laughs> yeah. this, and I thought this was just a gem. It was so much, it, just so much fun to watch a game where there was so much theater and drama unfolding, and big stars, and and sort of a game within the game. Uh, it was just a, a unique experience to be here. You know, the drag of an 82-game schedule, you sometimes forget that it's all about the postseason. And, and it gets so long and so extended, and the night-by-night routine, the rigmarole of it all, it, you lose sight of what it's all about. And today was one of those games where you got to touch of what it's all about, and the postseason is it's almost near. And you know, you know both of these teams are going to be involved, and the Rockets, I think, are better positioned this year, especially when Howard comes back healthy to make more of a run this season than they did last season, and it's kind of having a glimpse of what they can be. Even without Howard today, just the, the, the toughness and the resolve they've shown through the course of this entire season, you saw a lot of that on display today. It was exciting, not just because of, of the victory, but just the way the game was played. You saw a lot of elements of playoff basketball, the stardom of LeBron James and James Harden, Excellent ball movement for most of the game until things kind of bogged down toward the end. The feistiness that the referees let some of these players get away with, I thought it was all there. And and when you like playoff basketball and you like the level of play being ratcheted up, so to speak, um, this was this was a preview of that. I thought it was it was exhilarating. It really was. Yeah, Trevor Reza talked about this being, I think, uh, the game with the most playoff atmosphere that he's felt since the playoffs. Uh, and you mentioned, I think you tweeted tonight that uh, it was amazing. You were amazed how much talent was out there on the floor. And I, when you said that, I thought to myself, and Kyrie Irving and Dwight <laughs> yeah. Howard are not out there. That's what's amazing about these two teams, that they really have a lot of talent. The Rockets uh, sweep the homestand. They go 5-0 and here. They've won five straight games. Uh, it's their first sweep of a homestand since 2009 uh, of five games or longer. Um, and they're now 13-2 and in games decided by five points or less. That's that's actually good news and bad news, right? It's not, something you, not a trend that you think will continue for any team, but it's still good to see them pull out close games. I think the last time I checked in terms of um, net rating with scoring, just general points per game. The Rockets are third right now in the West, but I think their net rating was like sixth or seventh. So they're winning a lot of close games, and, and most statisticians would tell you that's full school, that at some point those numbers catch up to you. Maybe not this season, over the course of time, the, the, the numbers kind of play themselves out. And you have to wonder, are the Rockets that good, or are they getting lucky in a lot of senses that they keep finding ways to win these close games, and the, the regression will come at some point. I don't know if it comes at this later in the season. Maybe it comes in the postseason. Their ability to execute, I think, late in games has been a huge plus for them, and let's not discredit that. I thought against Brooklyn on Friday night, they played pretty poorly. They found a way to win. 
I think today they, they had the lead. They gave it up when the bench came in in the fourth quarter. They found a way to win. They've consistently found ways to win games by executing late in games. Um, that leads to a lot of close victories. And I think, to your point, it's concerning because you don't know how legitimate it is. I think the record is what it is, to, 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 to echo Bill Parcells. But in the same vein, you would like to see a team that is 41-18 have a wider disparity in terms of points for and points against. That's the one thing that kind of worries me at the stage. Yeah, I think like Daryl Morey said, uh, you know, great teams don't win close games. They avoid them, and, and I think that's what they would like to do. But, hey, they're, they're, they're pulling them out, so... Uh, that's that's a good sign. But this game, I think, you know, you could talk about how great it was or, you know, the, the ups and the downs of this game. You could really look at that third quarter as what was just so much happened in that third quarter. It's when things really got chippy, you know, pretty physical. There was a lot of talking, a lot of, a lot of trash in it. And the game within the game I had mentioned is really this MVP race of LeBron James and James Harden going at each other. LeBron scored 14 of his 37 in the third. Harden scored 13 of his 33 uh, and, of course, the physical nature of what we saw. We saw a, a moment where uh, Beverly took a charge or, or tried to take a charge on um, uh, LeBron coming in, and they, they called a foul, and LeBron wouldn't let him up. They, they got physical in a, a little bit of a scuffle down, down uh, on the floor. And then, of course, later on, after a, a no-call, Harden um, sort of kicks LeBron and gets him right in the groin area. That's probably going to overshadow this game in a lot of ways. People are going to jump on that moment. What were some of the things that you saw there in, in those uh, sort of physical moments in that third quarter? It's weird when you go back and look at your notes about what happened because the narrative, as you're saying, about the kick and the scuffle between James and, and uh, Beverly, Harden scored 13 consecutive points for the Rockets. He scored 13 points a period. They all came in succession. LeBron had 11 consecutive points for the Cavaliers right in that same stretch of time. So it was some pretty remarkable back and forth between those two guys. And I thought it was really engaging. Like all the other stuff going on, those two near fights were part of it. But just watching those two guys just kind of legitimately go at one another was spectacular. And I think you could just feel the energy kind of, you know, pulsating through the crowd because you see two great players on display showcasing their wares. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. I think I made a tweet at some point during the game about LeBron kind of aggressing a little bit defensively. He manned up and took the challenge of stopping James on certain yes. occasions. And yeah. you still see the lateral quickness, the size, the dexterity, all the things that make him a fantastic all-around player were there for the, for the showcase. But James had the one crossover where he got by LeBron. I thought it was fantastic. And just the manliness. He had the one play we made, the driving layup. Right after that, hit the three-pointer, and you're like, this dude has it all. The, the entire package is there offensively for him. So to see that on display was, was riveting stuff. But to your point, the chippiness was, was a part of it. And, and you wonder in the postseason how much of that is going to play into every team's performance. That the Rockets could do that and not lose sight of the ultimate goal was huge for them. That Patrick Beverly could have that sort of confrontation with, James, with LeBron James and not get thrown out, what, what I thought was very significant, because that's always your concern. Yeah, is this team tough enough? I think they prove that they are. Do they have enough guys that can kind of step forward? Remember the, the play where Mozgov kind of swung through a foul yes, after okay. on, on yeah. James Harden, and Ariza stepped in and got a technical. I thought that was a huge moment that people may forget because that's your, your forward having your all-star players back. James was right there, but Ariza stepped in to say something to, to Mozgov. Yeah. I thought that was really, really critical in terms of camaraderie and team building, all the stuff you want to see out of a team as you get ready for the postseason. That's a good catch, actually. You know, what, what really, I think, kept my eyes open this game was just Harden, I thought, being so fearless. I, I, I look back a couple years ago. There was a game Harden went to Miami. This was when Harden's first year, I believe, in Houston. He scored 30-something points in, in Miami, and, and LeBron, after the game, said, hey, 
James Harden is a superstar. And that was back when we were wondering whether James Harden was a legit superstar or this six-man you know, guy from uh, OKC who just scored a lot of points and didn't play any defense. It sort of legitimized Harden as a superstar. Still didn't consider him on the same plane as LeBron. I thought today we, we saw him going mano a mano, just attacking each other. And I, I, it opened my eyes that Harden was was taking that challenge and really uh, not getting locked down. I mean, granted, LeBron's a terrific, def- terrific player on both ends of the floor, but I thought Harden really attacking him uh, just sort of opened my eyes that this isn't just an MVP situation where uh, you know the, the Rockets have had a better year and the Cavs had that down downtime. Uh, and which makes Harden a better MVP. He's he's up on that level with LeBron James. I don't know how many examples people need to recognize that he's a different cat. Yeah. Like LeBron, I mean, James Harden is not the same player this year that he even was last year. One one, one micro view. Um, the back-to-back defensive plays he made, blocking J.R. Smith in the corner to, to force a shot clock violation, picking the pocket of, of Moskov, getting on the floor to get it, and then getting triple Moskov on the very next possession. Yes, yeah. He's done so many things for this team. That, yeah, you and I see it game after game after game. I thought it was good for him to have this sort of performance on a national stage against a player like LeBron because it kind of resonates. Everybody sees it. Everyone understands that he's gotten better. Even the haters are forcing out of acknowledge, well, he's made some strides defensively. He doesn't just shoot the ball all the time, and I want to address that later as we kind of get to the end of things, that he's a well-rounded player, and he is capable of playing to the level of LeBron James on a stage such as this. I don't think anyone believes the Rockets are going to make a run in the Western Conference without Dwight Howard. But I think what we've seen this year is that James Harden is transcendent enough to carry a good team very, very far. They're 41-18 and with Howard having missed a significant portion of the season or being um, inhibited when when he has been on the court. And all of that credit, well, a significant portion of credit goes to the way that Harden has played both as a scorer and as a facilitator and as a defender and as a rebounder, and most importantly, as a leader. His performance, the way he carries himself, it's all there. And the point you're making is this. He's changed. When we had the doubts about him two years ago, when we were trusting Daryl Moore that their their ability to project what he could be based on usage and the increase in minutes played, none of us really knew. Now we know that he's, he's one of the best players in this league unequivocally. It seemed like it was crazy talk when he said that during the summer, I could be the best player. He can be one of the best players in this league, and no one is doubting that anymore. No one should doubt it at this stage. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, you and I talking, uh, maybe even last year a little bit, like just different signs of immaturity that Harden had, maybe maybe in handling how he handled the media, things of that nature. I, I think you're seeing now signs of maturity, and, and he's uh, he's amazing. He's really stepped it up, uh, really opened my eyes with how he's played this year. You mentioned leadership. You mentioned Ariza. I want to talk a little bit about what he did tonight defensively, maybe sort of an unheralded player for what, what happened tonight. Granted, uh, LeBron James couldn't even hit his free throws, so you know, I can't credit that to, to, to Trevor Ariza. But LeBron did go 15 of 35. This is a guy who's, uh, you know, previous two seasons shot 57 percent from the floor, 49 percent this season, uh, limited him to 15 of 35. And you know, we, we pick on Chandler Parsons a lot, but this is now you with Trevor Ariza, you've got a guy you can put on the best player, a guy who can maybe not lock down that player, but make it very difficult. I thought tonight his energy was terrific. Four steals, uh, just was was really hounding LeBron most of the night, staying with him. You can't say this enough. LeBron is a freaking handful. I mean, possession after possession, the strength, the size, the ball handling, the shooting ability, he's an absolute nightmare. And I thought, Ariza, if you're going to engage LeBron, you have to be willing to fight possession after possession after possession. And yes, the Rockets ran Terrence Jones at him on occasion. Yes, they ran um, Josh Smith. Even James Harden got in there and got some touches against LeBron defensively, but it was mostly on Ariza 
And I thought Ariza was up to the challenge and ready for the fight. And you have to fight him every possession. You cannot relent. Because say what you want about him not being Kobe. He will crush you if you give him the opportunity to crush you. And I thought Ariza just stood up to the challenge tonight and fought him tooth and nail. And yeah, some of those shots are the shots he's going to miss. But when you force LeBron into missing 20 shots, he missed 20 shots. That means you're making him an inefficient player. And yeah, if he made more free throws, he has a 40-point game. But he had to grind and work for everything he got tonight. And a lion's share of the credit goes to the Ariza for that because Ariza was so prepared defensively, got into the right spots on the court consistently. And even the last play of the regulation where LeBron, you know he was going to milk the clock. But a reason to be in his pocket the entire time at half court, yeah. not backing up and letting LeBron issue the offense, but really just standing on top of him. I, I thought to me that said, look, dude, this is a fight, and I may be 40 pounds lighter than you. I may be a couple inches shorter than you. I'm here to fight you on every possession. I thought it was a brilliant defensive play. It was a brilliant defensive effort in that one moment, and it showcased what kind of player he's been for the team all year defensively. Yes, he's not been what the Rockets expected offensively, yeah. but when you have that level of play defensively, it goes a long way in games like this and potentially into the postseason. Yeah, we, we've, we've certainly talked about Ariza's woes from the three-point line this year. He has struggled. I think he's around 31 to 33% this year, uh, way down from his 41% last season with the, with the Wizards. Uh, but he's just so valuable defensively. You, you have to turn to some other spot to, to improve, and we've focused on the point guard spot, uh, that they've got to get some sort of offensive improvement because Ariza's just defensively does, I think, so much for this team. I want to talk a little bit about Terrence Jones as well. I mean, this, you, you mentioned Dwight Howard being out most of the year in the Rockets' impressive record. He's been out almost the entire season. Um, and I think he was overlooked. At the trade done, a lot, of, a lot of people were willing to just sort of throw him into a deal. Hey, I'll, we'll give you Terrence Jones. We're not going to part with Demo, but we'll give you Terrence Jones. And look at what he has done uh, since being plugged back into the starting lineup alongside Demo. Uh, last four games, 18.5 points on over 60% shooting, 10.5 rebounds, almost five of those offensive, uh, and two blocks a night. Um, has just been outstanding. I, I think maybe it's because Demo's struggling uh, on the rebounding side, and we'll talk about that as well, that, that it sticks out so much that Terrence Jones is thriving. But he's really giving you a lot of energy, attack the offensive glass, uh, just been terrific. I didn't expect this from him so soon coming back from this injury. When you lose a guy for 41 games, you kind of forget what he brought to the table. Yeah. And I think the first four games of the year, he was pretty doggone good. And we saw kind of a continuation of what he was in flashes last year. And I almost got a little bit excited because we recognize that, you know, there's some versatility to his game. Man, since he's gotten back into the starting lineup, I think his confidence is back, his legs are back, the energy is there. You know, the, the one thing that was missing upon his return which is getting that juice back in his body. I think it's there again. Um, he's, he's finishing the ball through contact. He's finishing over players. He's not afraid to trust his athleticism anymore. And I thought the first few games he was understandably a little bit hesitant. He called himself tentative. And, and that makes perfect sense given the circumstances. Look, if you can get that level of rebounding and defense from, from Terrence Jones, it's not like true rim protection like Dwight Howard gives you, but legitimate Mantle, Imano, defense on, on bigger players, it's critical for, for this team moving forward because then when Howard comes back, presumably healthy, you have the ability to, to utilize all those bigs, Josh Smith, Demo, Dwight Howard, Terrence Jones, and match up accordingly. And I yeah. think that's, let's not lose sight of how important that's going to be in the Western Conference that you have four guys, three of whom are very good defensive players individually. To, to utilize through the course of any series. Yeah. And if Jones is going to be playing at this level, 
just defensively, offensively he's been fantastic, but just defensively and on the glass, it's a huge boon for this team because now it's not just on Dwight Howard to have to save the day against the Marcus Aldridge like he did last year yeah. after Aldridge just tore the Rockets up those first two games. Now you have guys where you can basically throw at other great interior players defensively and make them work for it. Just as about we talked about Ariza doing the same against LeBron James, now you have numbers with these guys. And I think Jones coming back and playing at this level with six weeks left, you can only imagine if he stays healthy how much better he will be by the close of the regular season going into the postseason because now he's showcasing what he was early this year, what we thought he could be last year, and it's kind of all coming into full bloom. And I think that's a, that's a huge plus for this team moving forward. Yeah, you know, what a difference from the start of the season where you had Tark Black and you, you, Jones was out. You, you, you lost Dwight Howard, you had Tark Black, and you didn't have Josh Smith. Demo hadn't really emerged yet. I mean, it, it's night and day where, where this team is in their in the bigs department compared to where they were at the start of the year. So yeah, that's a great point. I want, I want to talk a little bit about Demo. Uh. <laughs> what a, what a, a contract! I mean, he, he was seven to fourteen tonight for sixteen points, but two rebounds. Rockets got destroyed on the glass tonight. Beat fifty three to thirty six. Uh, and one guy really just tore them apart, and that's Tristan Thompson. Had 19 rebounds, 11 offensive. Uh, one of those offensive rebounds really uh, almost cost them the game. In the last four games, I think three of the last four, he's had three rebounds or less. That's unacceptable. Yeah, and in the last game against Brooklyn, uh, Brooke Lopez, one of the worst rebounders in the league for a, for a seven-footer, had 12 rebounds in 22 minutes. It's it's an issue. I think you see why, now why the Rockets felt they had to balance him out with Joey Dorsey. It's funny. Um, time exposes everything. You know, you yeah. all fell in love with Zemo's Captain Hook and you know the, the scoring versatility and all the things he can do on one end of the court. The more he plays the more the other faults in this game get exposed. And yes, he has his moments where he's a, a fine defensive player, but consistently it hasn't been there. And my goodness, he's just been an awful rebounder. And just, just spot shot. I, I implore all of you to spot shadow <laughs> Demo on occasion and watch him just not box anybody out. He will legitimately just stand in front of a guy and hope the ball comes to him or that his height will, will work as a deterrent for the other player, him getting the ball. There was a key play against the Nets late where he did not box out. Um, Brooke Lopez, and it was a tip where James Harden had to hit the floor to get the 50-50 ball. Tonight, the point you made about Terrence, um, um, Tristan Thompson getting a second-chance opportunity at the basket because Demo did not box him out. He just stood there and basically kind of backed into Thompson. You have to box out in this league. I don't care how tall you are, how much thicker you've gotten over the course of your career, box out. And he does not box out, and it is inexcusable for a guy his height to get three rebounds, and it's inexcusable for a guy his height to get beat for 12 rebounds by Brooke Lopez. I mean, <laughs> we're not talking about Wilt Chamberlain or, or Bill Russell. We're talking about Brooke Lopez. And so as much as we love Demo's offensive, offensive ability, he has to get better on that end of the court. Or what's going to happen is that when Dwight Howard comes back, his butt's going to the bench. That's and, what I'm wondering, and, and whether no, it's going to be Jones starting again. Yeah. Oh, there's, Jones is giving you no reason to put him back on the bench right. when Dwight Howard comes back yeah. because, you know what, he rebounds, yeah. and he defends, and he scores. He may not be able to shoot the three like Demo can shoot the three. He doesn't have, I don't think, Demo's versatility offensively on the block, and we love that, but you got to rebound and you got to play defense, and Demo yeah. sometimes checks in and out on those two um, aspects of the game. Sure, and, and you've, you know, you've been saying it for a year or two, at least I'd say two years, about – you know, Demo being a little bit soft. I think tonight we saw, I mean, he's, there's a lot to like about Demo. His, his three-point shot is improving. I think it's 40% the last 30, 31 games. Uh, and I think John Schumann of NBA.com tweeted out tonight that he's shooting 53% on paint shots outside the restricted area, meaning that hook shot is, is deadly. His footwork's great, but but even there was a time, I think, a play tonight where he had a little little spin, 
right under the basket, perfect for a dunk, went up soft with a little sort of lay-in, and, and Tristan Thompson just sent it. Uh, I mean, a vicious block. And uh, I mean, at first I thought it was a goaltend, but it was just a nasty block. And uh, as you pointed out, he's going to get fouled if he goes up for a dunk. Just you, you've got to be a little bit more physical. So we'll, hopefully we'll see that uh, progress from Demo, and it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a while before Dwight does come back healthy, but when he does, to see who is your starting power forward on this team. Uh, you know, we have not had a podcast since the trade deadline, so I've got to talk about this because a lot of people have, you know, talked about the Rockets, what they did, what they didn't do. And, of course, the name Goran Dragic has to come up. I found the trade deadline to be fascinating because I was just salivating at what was happening. We, I, yeah, I think we talked about it several times, like, okay, the Phoenix Suns are not going to trade Goran Dragic. And the way things unfolded, it was like, it's happening. You know, they're going to trade Goran Dragic. They're going to have to take less than they want for him. It was a perfect scenario. Everything that I didn't expect to happen uh, did happen. And what we were completely blindsided by was the fact that Goran didn't want to be here. Didn't list the Rockets. Clearly wanted to be the man in a bigger market. Uh, have, or basically wanted to be the guy with the ball. And I think probably Harden being here was an issue for him. And it just it didn't work out. But I, my thoughts on it is the Rockets made the correct decision because this was going to be a rental situation unless you overpaid to keep him. Uh, and in which case, if you're willing to pay $20, $20 million a year until he's 34, I, I just think that's... That's not the best course of action for the for the Rockets. We have a tendency to argue about certain things. And we're not going to argue about this. <laughs> I, I think I'm 100% on board with you. Look, I love Dean. I mean, I love Goran Dragic. Me too. He's not, A, he's not a max player. B, if he thinks this situation is analogous to what he went through in Phoenix, where he had two other point guards sharing time, then he doesn't understand basketball. Because as much as James Harden handles the ball here, he handles the ball because they don't have another point guard on the roster. Yeah. Trust me, if they had a point guard of Gordon Dragic's caliber on his team, you would not see James Harden handling the ball to the extent to where it scares Gordon Dragic from coming here thinking he's not going to handle the ball. So he's completely misguided in thinking that. If, that's, if that was the one deterrent of him coming here saying it'll be the same as Phoenix, it wouldn't have been the same as Phoenix because, trust me, Harden would have gladly surrendered the ball in certain situations because he's doing way too much for the team simply because there's no legitimate point guard on the team. But the one point you can't overlook is that you can't give up all of your future for a rental opportunity or yes. at Goran Dragic or to overpay him for four more years or five years after the season. It makes no sense. And maybe the Rockets can get the boost they need by getting Dwight Howard back. Maybe having Terrence Jones keep developing over his last 23 games, 24 games, is analogous to a trade deadline acquisition. It's not a point guard. You got Pablo Prigioni, you know, coming in and doing some wonderful things in spot minutes. But the reality is you weren't going to get the point guard that you wanted, that you desired, that you craved to come in and give James Harden a blow. It's going to have to be everybody else. And, and that's tough. It is what it is. James Harden is the max player. He's going to have to earn it come yeah. postseason. And I think because, to circle back to our earlier point, he's matured. I would be stunned to see him have a series this postseason like he did last year against Portland. I just think... That 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 situation just it it, it forwards a different player within him. He's going to play differently this postseason, and because of that, you have to hope with the other players in tow that there'll be a better prepared team in the postseason. They can get by without having a point guard of the caliber of going dry. Yeah, I, I, I'm just I think you know I, people are going to focus on the fact that hey, Demo's struggling a little bit now, and you know hey, we we could have survived with with Terrence Jones. I just look at it like you would have given away Demo now at this point. Uh, you know, you would have lost those picks, which are e either going to be valuable 
to you, meaning the Pelicans pick and that, that, that New York Knicks second rounder, they're either going to be valuable to you adding to the roster or whether it's a trade this, this summer. And I'm going to be curious to see what happens with the Heat, frankly. I mean, granted, Chris Bosh injury is, is unfortunate, um, but even without that, I, you know, we may be looking in several years similar to what happened to the Nets and the Knicks and say that, that was an ill-fated trade for the, for the Miami Heat. They gave away a completely unprotected pick in 2021 and I believe a top seven protected pick in 2017. And if you don't contend and thrive right away with those, with those type of trades, they come back and haunt you because you can't trade those back-to-back picks and they just they, they, they hang over your head. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with the Nets and the Knicks. Those teams just are trying to you know, wait out time and get through that, that period until they can start to really rebuild. But we'll see. That may, it may work out fine for them, but I, we'll see what happens with Goran uh, signing a long-term deal. But I think the Rockets made the right decision. This summer we'll see something either interesting happen via trade or they'll add a, uh, a rookie point guard in the draft in, in, the, in that lot, late lottery spot. Yeah, considering where they are right now, that with, where your roster stands relative to point guards, you have to draft a point guard with that pick, that Pelicans pick. I would think so, and, yes. and you can't afford to give it away right now. I think that they've kind of gotten themselves into a corner in terms of where they are with point guards respective to the roster. That's clearly the move they have to make if they're in the right position come, come the summer. And you move forward. Look, look, I'm not sold on the fact that, that Miami can make any sort of noise even next year if they keep Dragic simply because as much as I love Dwayne Wade, he's an older player. Yeah. And, and Chris Bosh is on the wrong side of 30. And Gorn will be 30 next season, if not mistaken. That's, uh, or 29 or 30. Yeah, I'm not yeah. Sure, yeah. So you're right on the cusp of having your three best players all be 30 years old. That's not desirous. Yeah. Particularly in the East, particularly with LeBron Solis prime, particularly with Toronto and Washington really kind of having a nice core in place and assuming that Derrick Rose God, can figure out a way to stay healthy, yeah. the Bulls still have the, the right pieces in place to, to be contenders. So I just don't think Miami makes any sort of leap to legitimize them as a contender in the East. And you're going to make that investment in Goran Dragic when it doesn't really impact your bottom line at all. So, yeah, I, I get that we all had the, the Dragic's tweets thing going on for a long time. Yes, and we were yeah. all kind of salivating over the guy. But you can't discredit the fact that the Rockets are the absolute right move and moving, moving forward away from him. And then you just turn the page and, and see what happens next. Yeah. Yeah, not an ideal point guard situation right now, but I, I, like I said, I think they'll attack that in the, in the the summer one way or another. And at the draft, you know, people say, hey, they always go best player available. They don't draft for need, but I think they'll focus on need. They, you know, if there's a better player available, they'll they'll trade up, trade down, and, and you know, similar to what you see the Sixers do, and uh, you know, just squeeze the value of that pick, but still get what they need because the, now there's they're more specific in what this team needs to contend. Uh, you know, want to close a little bit talking about the schedule. They got four games and five nights coming up, and it's it's a brutal little stretch here. Um, they, they, you know, Tuesday night they play at Atlanta, and they're traveling on both these back to backs. By the way, at Atlanta, come back home to play Memphis. Those are two of the very best teams in the league. Uh, then they they uh, stay home to play Detroit, a team they've already lost to this year, and then hit uh, Denver. Uh, this is a tough little stretch coming up right here. It never lets up. You know, you keep thinking they've proven themselves. They have five games in a row. They won all five games. They've proven themselves. And then you look, and they got 13 row games left at Atlanta, at Portland, at the Clippers, at the Pelicans, Washington, Toronto, Dallas, Oklahoma City, San Antonio. It never lets up. And in the West, as critical as anything is playoff positioning. And granted, we talked about this too. I don't think home court's going to be dire this year because I think the teams are so balanced and so equal. But. You kind of want it if you can get it. Yeah. You don't want to slip to seventh if Absolutely. you can avoid it. And that murderer's road down the stretch of road games is going to be so critical. My God, they played Dallas, Oklahoma City, and San Antonio back-to-back-to-back to back to back on the road at some point. 
with, with, a, with a back-to-back game against San Antonio, home and home, at the end of that. It's so brutal. It's so difficult. You hope that Howard is healthy and back for you at that stage. But nothing has changed in terms of they still have to keep proving themselves. There were a lot of questions asked post-game today about being underrated and overlooked and yada, yada, yada. Look, you got to keep winning. And they're third right now, and everybody's kind of doffing their cap at them for, for doing what they've done without Dwight Howard. You lose five or six, and you're right back down to seventh. And it can happen in the blink of an eye. So as wonderful as they've performed this year under the circumstances, they got a long road to go yeah. before they can pat themselves on the back in between the regular season and the postseason. they got to keep winning, and it's not going to be easy. Before I let you go, I know this changes week to week, so I'm not holding you to this, but uh, the MVP race is not just Curry and Harden right now. How would you put your top three at the moment? If I could, Dave, <laughs> give her brother a moment. Look, we've all talked about the stupidity that has been emanating from NBA on TNT between Charles Barkley and his doofus fight with analytics and Shaq talking about strategy. It's, it's, not, basketball. it's not basket strategy, it's basketball. Look. <laughs> No one's going to make a legitimate argument that Harden or Curry has a definitive edge on the other. It's pretty much 1A and 1B. Yeah. All the numbers bear that out. No matter what kind of discussion you want to have about it, a sensible discussion, you can make a legitimate argument for both guys, one over the other, and I would not begrudge you that. It's a legitimate case for Steph Curry, despite the fact he has a better team, despite the fact he has a better secondary player in Klay Thompson. He's been outstanding. The numbers bear that out. The one thing that, that Shaq said recently, Shaquille O'Neal so recently, that stuck in my craw, that people really need to think about. Charles Barkley was saying that he thinks James Harden deserves the MVP, and Shaq interrupted to say, well, he takes all the shots. I'm going to give you one stat, and one stat only. Through 59 games, James Harden is averaging 18.0 field goals once per game. You know how many Steph Curry is averaging? No. 17.1. <laughs> so it's less than one shot difference. Wow. Yeah. There are a lot of narratives going on about Harden having an ugly game, the Rockets playing the ugly game, the Rockets being villains suddenly yes. in the league. All this nonsense that's going on. You cannot allow a guy in a national platform to say one guy is taking, quote, all the shots and the other guy deserves MVP consideration when that other guy is taking basically the same number of shots per game. Yeah. You can't allow it. So I implore you, Rockets fans, and you know I really don't care. I'm the most objective cat when it comes to basketball because I don't really have any dog in the hunt. Yeah. But you can't allow that just to be said because it's blatantly untrue. You can talk about defense, and there's some wiggle room in terms of how much better he's gotten. You can talk about all the other things that statistically we can debate, but at least there's a debate. You can't say one guy takes all the shots and imply that another guy doesn't take nearly as many when he's taking only one shot fewer per game. That's absurd. It needs to be said on the record multiple times to take that off of the board in terms of comparing Curry against Harden. I think Russell Westbrook, if he keeps playing like this, May be the MVP. Yeah. I mean, let's not lose sight of that. He's been incredible for a long stretch of time without Kevin Durant. And, and look at what Ke- the Cleveland's been doing. LeBron. They won 18 of 20 when LeBron came back. It's a legitimate four-man race right now. And I think those two guys, Westbrook and, and, and James, have forced their way into the conversation. And they're going to make Curry and Harden, two newcomers to an extent, earn it. Yeah. And that's going to be fun. But let's not make this about disparaging anyone. Let's just acknowledge how great all four of those guys have been. And let's please stop with the lies about James Harden being a ball hog. I think we've all come to understand that he is absolutely not that. Yeah. You would say tonight helped him, though, right? I mean, national stage, so many people watch this game. uh, You know, going up against LeBron, who is, you know, a a multiple-time MVP, 
you would say Harden helped his case. Would have been nice if he had more than five assists. Yeah. Um, considering we've seen him, I think he averaged nine point three the first four games of this homestand. If he could have had another ten assist game. It goes a long way to underscore how well-rounded he's been. But I think just the one-on-one, the mano-a-mano performance, I think goes a long way to kind of adding his name to the, the discussion for people who really just wanted to square him. That is M.K. Bauer. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. Please go read his stuff at Culture Map. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Dave.